Could this be the decade of high interest rates? Are we now in a world where rates will be higher for longer? And if so, what does this mean for investors and the property market? On this episode of Australian Property Talk, we're going to go through a little thought experiment, imagining what this scenario of higher rates for longer might be. It's a bit of a scary topic, but it is something investors might need to think about and grapple with. As always, I'm here with Reedham. How's it going? Going well, Curtis. An opportunity to theorize with you about the economics of the global world and interest rates in the long run must be one of my favorite things to do now. We normally do it on our own time unrecorded. So um, yeah, it's basically an opportunity for us to have this conversation with 2,000 of our closest friends. <laughs> yeah. um, so this one's really interesting because higher rates for longer is a topic that is going around at the moment um, that is not only a thought bubble that we're discussing, but it's a thought bubble that many people are discussing at the moment with some of the economic resilience that we've seen all around the world with the high rate setting that's kicked in. Yeah, exactly. So just to lay out a little bit of context, um, and yeah, there's a large bit of summarizing here and glossing over some details, but I think essentially the world and markets expected that uh, didn't expect the resilience that we're seeing both from the Australian economy and other economies around the world. The expectation when we started this, I guess, inflation journey maybe 18 months ago um, was that rates wouldn't necessarily need to increase to the level that they have and the period of high rates would be a temporary run and potentially rates would start coming down quite quickly. Um, and I think what we've seen or um, what we've seen in markets and people's expectations is that that case is maybe potentially moving to people expecting that because of the resilience that there is in the economic performance, rates might need to stay at an elevated level for a longer period of time than, than was previously expected. Um, one of the data metrics I've got for this that's kind of happened over the last six months is the US um, Treasury like 10-year bond yield, which is a little bit of a proxy for what the market is expecting the interest rate outlook to look like over a 10-year window in the US, um, it's increased by almost 2% in the last six months. So it's kind of gone from, you know, 3.3. Um, I think it was 3.3 in April this year to it cracked five. I think it felt fell a little bit, but it cracked five last month. So in a relatively short space of time, like the last six months, people's expectations around what the next kind of decade is going to look like in terms of rates has, I think, materially shifted. Um, so what we wanted to talk through is not really making a case that this is definitely going to happen, but if this is the case and we are going to be living with higher rates for longer, what does it mean for property investors? What does it mean for property markets? And mm. unpacking that a little bit. Yeah, that is very interesting when you answer that second bit to that question there. So I think part of the US 10-year curve would be the short end curve, um, you know, the cash rate, um, which yeah. is the overnight rate. Um, that has pushed up a fair bit as well. And um, the general market curve that you have across the world is we are close to the peak interest rate that we have for this cycle across the developed world. Australia, we're expecting what another rate rise, maybe um, that's what the money markets yeah. are predicting, maybe two rate rises. But most of the rate adjustment has occurred according to money markets at the moment. And most of the world is experiencing the same thing. And these money markets are effectively, um, when you pan it out and showcase a 10-year uh, projection um, that is showing around the cash rate level um, rather than a slight risk premium and a slight uh, yep. uh, 
reward for investing in a 10-year sort of um, bond versus a short-end bond, um, which is what you'd expect uh, yeah. to see. Uh, typically, that reward is a little bit higher. Um, you typically have higher interest rates on the long end than on the short end. That's generally how the bond curve looks. Um, and it would be unusual to see a bond curve where the 10-year rate is lower than the overnight rate, that would be very unusual and signal a recession or that the markets are predicting that, hey, lower rates are coming very soon. Um, and uh, if the market's predicting that, then they're probably predicting economic damage. Yeah. But they're not really predicting that. So that's the interesting story. Yeah. And I think my takeout of it isn't necessarily that the outlook for the terminal cash rate has changed. Yep. It's more the expectations of where rates are going to like level out to over the next several years. Yes. Um, and I think previously the thought was that there are, you know, there's likely to be rate cuts at some point. Like the econ economies around the world are going to slow down as a result of this tightening cycle yep. and that that's going to precipitate some rate cuts on the back end of this cycle. Um, but I think what's changed is people are looking at that and going, oh, less one, less certain about if that's actually going to be the case. Yep. And if it is going to be the case, the timeline for those rate cuts in people's mind has been pushed back. Um, so effectively, staying in a higher in rate environment for a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that has large consequences for property investors for medium and long-term decisions for where to buy, for which state to buy, and for how much money you can get, and for how to manage your risk. So um, yeah. in one of our pods, we talked about, I talked about property investing and set frameworks for it. Be like, it's all about getting money, placing money, managing that money. High rates for longer impacts how you get money and how you're going to be able to get money in the future. Impacts where you should be investing, because I genuinely believe that Australia is a big country and you can invest in many parts and different parts of Australia will experience this differently. Yeah. What's the third part? Managing money is very, very different when you change the assumption cash rate around, um, changes how much buffers you need to hold, changes how you plan your portfolio, changes how much debt you should get overall. Um, so it has widespread impacts for any property investor and for home buyers and for homeowners and for, you know, super allocations and, you know, the way we work, it has broader implications into the way we live and permeates through our behaviors, our decisions, the economy, our financial choices, um, the jobs we have. It's a really important benchmark um, for our future as a nation. That's why monetary policy is one of the most important tools that governments have to influence the economy. Yeah, exactly. So I actually like the way you outlined it there, you know, getting money, placing money and managing it. So I reckon we can unpack it on that basis. So let's start with getting money, like the lending, accessing lending, basically in a high rate environment. Um, I think, uh, you know, on our previous podcast, we gave some tips for, you know, ways to, you know, access lending more easily in a high rate environment. Yep. But I th um, would say if rates are going to be higher for an extended period of time, it does potentially change the strategy or the thinking for property investors. I think a lot of investors are looking at the high rate environment and going, okay, if that's going to ease in the next 18 months, then my opportunities to buy, um, you know, in terms of the amount of debt I can access, my opportunities to get additional debt are going to open up in the near future and I can kind of sit tight and wait for that to happen. Um, if we're going to be in a situation where that 18 months becomes, you know, a few years 
um, if you want to make moves in the market, then it's going to become more important to find lending solutions or set yourself up in a way that allows you to access the most favorable treatment from lenders in order to essentially keep accessing credit. Yeah, exactly. So to summarize how the interest rate and the long-term interest rate impacts property investors with the framework of how to get money, um, the interest rate is the number one driver of serviceability calculations that is not in your control. The interest rate sets the assessment rate that the bank will use to determine how much money to lend to you. So all banks will calculate your income, subtract your expenses, work out how much money you have left over every month, and off that, base how much money they're going to lend to you. Now, that bit is all driven by two factors. One, the interest rate, and two, the assessment buffer on that interest rate. Most of the time, that assessment buffer is somewhere between 2 to 3%. Barely ever changes. Currently, it's 3%. It was 2% before. It's in and around there. The other factor is the interest rate, and that moves around. And right now, and if it's going to be at this level for the next decade or higher, then borrowing capacities are going to be really constrained because the assessment rate people have will be the interest rate plus the 2 to 3%, and that's how banks are going to determine how much money to lend to you. Two years ago, <laughs> what the rate was, was you know 2% interest rate plus uh, 3% buffer, 5% total assessment rate. Now we're looking at 9, 10, and if rates are even higher for the next decade, it might even be 11% P&I assessment rates, which really um, screams down borrowing capacities and means the debt to income ratios that are available will crunch towards five or even start with a four when previously they were at eight. Um, it's reversing the lending momentum that drove borrowing capacities up over the last few decades. Um, it's reversing that um, and saying, hey, can Australian property capital growth rate sustain in an environment where credit is no longer expanding at the same level as it was, and in fact may even be contracting at least on an individual household level. Yeah, which is, I think, its ultimate impact on house prices is a hard one to unpick. But what I would maybe pivot to is if you are a property investor and you're looking at ways that, you, that you're going to have to try and access debt in this environment, yep. um, banks are trying to find creative policies and ways that they can still lend money to good borrowers. Yep. Um, so I would say that it becomes crucial to make like to be more strategic in the way that you present yourself or you present your financial situation to banks in order to access credit in this environment, which can just um, mean taking advantage of effectively favorable policies. We ran through this a bit on the last yep. podcast. So, you know, self-employed um, applicants have tools, but basically you need to um, you need to plan out these things a little bit in advance and you need to present yourself in the most favorable way to take advantage of the policies that will yep. get you the most lending. Yep. Because without that, you know, in a lower rate environment, potentially not that necessary of a thing to do. Yep. But in the current high rate environment, and if you're going to be trying, trying to increase your lending over the next few years and the environment doesn't improve you are basically going to have to find ways to present yourself in the most favorable light possible. And that's going to hopefully allow you to borrow that little bit more that allows you to keep growing. Yep, that's true. Um, little plug for you there. Or you can just speak to someone like Curtis and he can take care of you and help you understand those nuances in the lending world that 
to exist and help you push the boat. But really, you are fighting a tide, and the interest rate is the tide. Yeah. If it's um, coming in, then you are too. Um, so that's just the way it is. Strategies and uh, options and policies, all of these things you need to do to help you maximize if you're a property investor. But the tide is turning on aggregate for everyone and for homeowners specifically. So that does have market level impact. So yeah. let's perhaps shift into the second one. Yeah, I think that's a great lead in because if lending and funds, essentially your source of funds is more scarce, um, the to me, the immediate consequence of that is you need to be more selective or about what you're purchasing yeah, because sure. you, know, you don't have an unlimited borrowing power anymore um, and you have limited resources, so allocating those to the best possible asset choices yep. is crucial. If we have an interest rate with a, a cash rate with a five handle in a decade's time and it remains kind of in that four to five range or even a little bit past that over the next decade, then capital growth rates across all capitals largely should be lower in the decade or two decades ahead than they were in the past. You simply cannot fight a debt to income change from you know six, seven, eight down to four with the same capital growth rate. It does not work. Um, people are borrowing significantly less money, have access to much less credit. It's much harder for capital gains to be you know seven percent or whatever the average capital growth growth rate is of national property in Australia when that is the credit environment behind it. Um, so that just needs to be said openly. Um, because there's no way around it. Credit has driven the national property boom over the last few decades. Um, it's been a big part of it. And without it, prices wouldn't have grown so much. That's just a nature yeah. of it. Um, that's just money in the system. If there's less money in the system, then prices of everything wouldn't go up so much. Um, so that's what credit is. Um, so that's something to factor in into your assessments. Um, if we are higher for longer, adjust your capital growth rates on your metrics and then decide you want to invest in property, um, noting that it's not going it's unlikely to double every seven years. It might even have sl much slower growth rates, um, materially slower. It could even be half or even below that mm. um, over the decades ahead. So decide whether you want to invest. It's still probably a good inflation hedge, probably beats inflation, um, and you should grow your wealth over time. So you still get all of those, but you should adjust your capital growth rates on your spreadsheets to account for this um, and adjust your retirement plans if you're planning on retiring inside a decade of capital gains. Um, yeah. And I think that's not just unique to property either. Like, um, I, you know, the ASX has taken a, you know, is down. I um, was last night on the kind of financial news. Um, I think it was half the stocks on the ASX 200 are trading at their 52-week lows. So, you know, it's not just property assets. You know, it's essentially all investment classes. Um, suffer from a similar um, impact if rates, the cost of capital is higher for longer. Hmm. Uh, I, th I think you just touched on why we're having this discussion in the first place. Why will rates be higher for longer and why are people thinking about this right now? Why is it a topic point that seems to be something that could be uh, an eventuality as of you know October, November 2023? Part of it is asset prices. That's been the big mm curly through this rate rising cycle. Um, we began on our very first podcast this year saying that, hey, if interest rates rose this much, then property prices should adjust this much. Um, but we were wrong with that and everyone's been wrong with that. House prices all across the world globally are now rising again in an environment where the cash rate is 
you know, five times what it was 18 months ago. That's, that's a tough analysis, but it starts with a five all around the world. But asset prices are rising. That's a curly for everyone. And that's why we're discussing this a lot. Yeah. And other economic indicators aren't potentially as weak as it was expected either. So, you know, in Australia, the unemployment rate is still really, really low. Um, the economic performance across, you know, some of the major economies around the world. So, you know, America is still pretty strong. And I think the expectation was that these economies were going to suffer higher unemployment, lower growth rates faster as a result of this tightening cycle. But essentially on all the key economic indicators and asset prices, I think the general story is that things are going better than people expected. And as a result, that then changes the thinking on on an easing cycle to be like, well, how necessary is this easing cycle going to be? Yep. And is it going to come as fast as, as expected if things are aren't tanking basically yeah exactly um my general theory high level on this is i don't like so answer your question will rates be higher for longer short to medium term i do think that is the case now and we've been doing a fair bit of content on this where we need to prepare for interest rates to be at this level for you know through 2023 2024 this upcoming recession um you know crank up interest rates recession will hit economy will fall that's been a narrative that Many people I've talked about, all my banker friends, um, you yep. know, when they were like, oh, I don't mind them dialing up rates because then the recession comes quicker and then, you know, uh, rates get all, cut, yeah, or hunky dory again. That narrative, I think, is probably going out the window a little bit now and it's going to be a bit slower. So um, the economy has ex excesses. Um, so it has had excesses from the COVID period with all the fiscal stimulus that came in. At, the elevated savings levels of the household, of the business sector, because during COVID, there was a lot of stimulus to businesses and profits shot up. There is there is excesses from these businesses and that's creating like a demand lag and a demand curve that exists even in higher rate environments because people still have money, businesses still have capital uh, and they're using that up and it's soaking that away. Fast forward a year or two, that excess goes away because of the liquidity drain of high cash rate, yep. taking money away. It's just taking a little bit of time for all that money to drain out of the system. Then inflation will come back down. And it's going to, in my opinion, it's going to be tough for inflation to be within that 2 to 3% range um, or 2.5% in Australia without a big structural change um, in our economy. It's going to be hard to sustain that in a world where the cash rate is 4.5% for a decade. It's going to be hard to keep inflation there. So I think higher for longer is true, but I think a decade is too, too yeah. long. I think we're talking 2023, 2024, 2025. Oh, 2025 doesn't sound right to me, but even like, you know, we're talking about a yeah. temporary period before rates normalize yeah i think a decade is a little bit of hyperbole but you know gotta gotta hook the viewers yeah uh, so you know but and i think uh the Let's talk about it as well. yeah i think it's now a possibility like uh, not necessarily the base case but it's now a possibility that warrants a little bit of consideration where previously it was a bit of a fringe case um i think the other point would be that this like particularly the fed i guess in their communication are probably the ones that most people look to but the central bank guidance around the world about when they expect to return to like a neutral cash rate, which, you know, for the Fed and a lot of central banks, they're kind of above the neutral cash rate. So that implies that there's some cuts along the way. Um, they're pushing their timelines for when they expect to be back there 
like further out, um, which I think is something that's, you know, changing the market expectations. Like the Fed are now saying like maybe 2025 is when we might get back to a neutral cash rate and things have flushed through. Whereas previously they were talking, you know, in their communication 2024. So it's just a slow change of expectations where that kind of neutral cash rate and when things are back to a bit of an equilibrium is being pushed out and out in terms of time frame. And if you're talking 20, it's pushed to maybe, you know, end of 2025, you know, it's not hard then if it gets pushed back a little bit to 2026, you yep. start to be in that period, in a period where you've had an elevated, um, you know, above the neutral kind of cash rate for, you know, five, six years. Yep. Um, so I think that's, that's what's changed expectations a bit as well. Yep. The very interesting question is what will asset prices do across asset classes around the world through this high rate environment? Property prices are rising all around the world. Yeah. Big surprise here, a little bit funny, um, but I think that's inflation and rents and migration maybe kicking in, mm. um, the underlying factors driving up demand. Um, if asset prices can sustain at this level and continue to rise, it's hard for inflation to come back down when Sydney property prices and when property prices are rising so quickly when it makes up such a large part of Australia's wealth. Um, so if this level of capital growth sustains in 2024 and then 2025, we have yeah. double-digit national property price growth in 2024, it's hard for inflation to come back down. And it also takes away concerns for the RBA literally being like, exactly. we can absorb higher cash rates because we kind of need the transmission mechanism of lower wealth to feed through to bring inflation down. Because that's one of the ways cash rate and interest rates work to slow down the economy. It's through the transition of, hey, we have higher interest rates, wealth comes down, people spend less. Yeah. It doesn't work when wealth goes up. Be like, wait, people are not spending less because they feel rich. Yeah, exactly. And I've got a, actually a property market specific question for you because this is one of the things that I've been thinking about, but I don't really have an answer to. Um, like the ABS released some data, I think it was September, um, that showed, you know, property listings are still down across the board, basically, um, more so in some kind of capitals than others. But you know, still down from where they were, you know, like at least 10% down, if not more, from kind of pre-COVID levels. Do you think in an environment where rates remain high for an extended period of time, do you think it's sustainable to have just a step change lower listing level? Or do you think at some point there has to be like an adjustment, a catch up where like listings flood the market? Because that's something I've been thinking about that, okay, if potentially lower supply yep. is helping prop up property prices, basically. Mm. Is that something, you know, you can have a period of lower supply where people are choosing not to sell, but if you play that out over a five, six, seven-year window, like does do does the supply level and the listing level have to revert to the norm or can there be just a step reduction? I know I've um, dumped that on you without too much preparation, yep. um, but what are your initial thoughts? I think I'm going to bring that question back down to if I'm a seller, what drives me to sell my home? So when prices are elevated at this level and uh, you see value in selling your home, you're more likely to sell your home. People forget that. So last year when interest rates rose so much, um, many people were predicting a flood of properties hit the market. People weren't interested in selling because prices yeah. were down 10, 15%, one of the uh, biggest Sydney declines are recorded ever. So people don't want to sell when prices are, feel lower than what they got pre previously, what they could have got. So 
that now it's a little bit different. We're back at a peak price. I don't know if, whether we're there yet or not. Real track uh, data released that today. Um, so REA's website released that today. Prop track data, sorry, um, had that there. We've now hit a new peak, but people feel more inclined to sell your home. I'm more inclined to sell my home. Um, don't ask anyone, but I like. I'm more inclined. Um, that's how the market feels about it. So mm. Listing levels will rise, but this is a little bit independent of interest rates so much, but it's a function of property values being really high at the moment and back to peak levels. So yeah, more people are going to want to sell. I think listing levels will rise because of that. And it's the number one reason why listing levels oscillate up and down. It oscillates with the market and it's uh, a little bit pro-cyclical there. I think that's the right word where, yeah. um, or counter-cyclical um, where if prices are down, I'm not selling. If prices are up, I'm selling. Um, that's what's happening at the moment. Um, so more people will sell their home and we're going to see more, even more people sell their home in 2024 than 2023 because prices are now back to their peak. Um, and if it stays that way, more and more people want to sell now. Yeah, interesting. Because I think that's, for me, that's a very interesting dynamic that if, if the rate environment remains relatively static at an elevated level, that puts pretty like that limits the demand side of the equation for housing. Obviously we've got immigration. There's a few other aspects that, you know, give a plus to demand, but that limits the amount that people can borrow and set some like guide rails for where demand can go. So I think the change, the potential changes to supply as listings say pick up or don't pick up could have a really big determining factor on how the actual like end price moves around because demand, if rates don't move, then demand doesn't necessarily have that that many places it can go. Yep, it's true. It's true. That's a really good summary of this situation. This is a really interesting and fun discussion talking about how rates are potentially higher and how it can feed through to the economy. Um, for our audience, I would remind, I guess, um, it's theoretical. Um, you know, a lot of people might be quite concerned listening to this, being like, do these boys think interest rates are going to be high for a decade? Like, Yikes. No, yes. Yeah, like that could be a little bit of a concern. This is just the theoretical exercise of how you could become a property investor, what you need to think about and how to manage your risk in a certain setting like this. Um, you may, if you are an existing property investor and you've built your portfolio too far, you may want to deleverage a little bit in these sort of circumstances and prepare for it. Um, you know, if you're a homeowner, just bear that in mind. Um, uh, hopefully, you haven't overleveraged yourself or you could bring down your debt levels over a period of time to help you manage your transition through this. Um, but it is prudent to budget for interest rates to be at the current level, I guess, um, and maybe a little bit beyond it um, for a period of time anyway. That's just prudent stress testing that every homeowner should probably go through. Yeah, and these this kind of thought experiment, I guess, like it's something myself and Readham do all the time. It's not necessarily what you believe is going to happen, but things change quite quickly. You know, for example, two years ago, um, you know, the predictions were probably very different to where we actually landed. So, um Talking through these things um, isn't necessarily doesn't mean you believe that's where it's going to go. Yep. But as an as an investor, having a bit of an idea of okay, well, if it does end up in that scenario, what does it mean for me? How do I need to adjust? Um, you know, having that having those thoughts in your back pocket that you can um, kind of put a bit of a like plan that you can pull out and go, okay, if this is what happens, I think roughly, you know, I need to deleverage a bit or these are some of the tweaks I would make. Yeah. Um, having that in the back of your mind is for me, like that's a, a source of comfort rather than a source of concern, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a pleasure doing this pod with you again, Kurt. <laughs>